0: I don't know. The, something tells me that this is a little wild. Um, just like something that I was just remembering about when I saw you pick up your coffee mug and it had this slight little turn that I could see something that I learned mm-hmm. about about seven years ago with you. When was the last time you cleaned that coffee mug, Tim?
1: Uh, my wife will clean it every now and again. She'll, uh, take it away and throw it through the dishwasher. But I will say like my immune system is so, this just, it just strengthens my, uh, my uh, uh, immune system. Is I it think. like, that's my story. It,
0: is it like a grill where like, if you think about it's, it, how it's our that's right.
1: It's, it's seasoned. I don't know if coffee is hot enough to uh, really make sure that it's as clean as it needs to be. But, you know, you bring this up at a time where like with our guest today, I feel like I need to be at my sit a little taller, be on my very best behavior. You know, like that thing where like when someone knows they're being watched that then their performance goes up and, and they're better behaved. I feel like this is going to be
0: or worse. Maybe they do the opposite and they get too scared. I'm interested in the aspect of this with how you can learn to be better at body language by doing things, you know, thousands of miles away. So we'll, we'll see. Rachel, good morning. How are you?
2: Good. How are you guys?
0: Pretty good. Okay. So your first thing that you said, you smiled and then you did something with your hands, like spirit fingers. Like, is that, is that, is that like tip one? Is that like tip 101 of like, if you want to get people engaged, immediately do spirit fingers or something like that.
2: Oh, sorry. Sorry. Can you repeat what you just said? It Like you, you cut out for me and I want to make sure I'm answering the right question yeah, yeah, yeah. And not the,
0: wanna, yeah. the first thing you did was you were like, hi, with your hands. Is that, uh-huh. I mean, is that like a good tip? Like engage people, you know, immediately with, with spirit fingers or something?
2: Yeah. I mean, really what you should be doing is like a dance and like, you know,
0: different
2: <laughs> like cheerleader things. Um, no, but actually, so you, uh, you, did, you did identify a few core things that can be leveraged when it comes to body language that help sh- show your audience or whoever it is that you're speaking with that you're you know, fully here, that you're ready to engage, that you're open and whatnot. And those two things tend to be, you know, looking, making direct eye contact or as direct eye contact as we can. And then a display of your palms, like palms forward mm-hmm. tends to be a very trust building nonverbal.
1: Interesting. So this yes. is going to be a really fun hour. I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to this, especially Hi, <laughs> especially with whenever, when everyone COVID kicked off and we weren't doing all this stuff. You know, we no one really knew how long this was going to stay until everything went back to normal. And now, video conferencing, I mean, Zoom Life, pick a platform. That is the new platform that's here to stay for the long term. So tell us a little bit about your business and what it is that you do. I think it's super interesting.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and by the way, thank you guys for, for having me here on your show this morning. It's very exciting. Um, so at Virtual Sapiens, right, which is the name of, of my company, we what we're doing is leveraging some of the new technologies we have, layering them on top of these tech-enabled conversations that we're having right over video to provide people with insights on body language nonverbal communication from from that video communication perspective right so we look at this playground that we all have to show up in we look at things like your setup so are you framed properly is your lighting such that we can really see you as an articulate human uh, we look at body language cues like eye gaze facial expressions gestures, um, and then we also look at some of the vocal variety, right? So we're, we're looking at a very comprehensive set of metrics uh, so that we can help professionals really build awareness and update their skill sets so that when they do show up on video, it, it feels more comfortable. It can feel more authentic. And at the end of the day, we can have a more human connection.
1: No, it's, it's interesting just as time continues to go on, like, at first, everybody had cameras on, everybody was talking, and, you know, it was accepted to have the, the dog walk by or the cat walk by or kids going past the background. And now it's, like, slowly, more and more, cameras off, cameras off, cameras off. And, uh, you know, nobody uses teleconferencing anymore. Uh, but so every And it's just like, but everybody will still Zoom or whatever, but be cameras off. And it's just... I don't know. I just feel that I'm always cameras on. And I just there's there's a connection there that, that needs to stay.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, there is a huge debate waging out there around the the whole camera off, camera on, you know, divide, if you will. And it's unfortunately not really getting to the, the crux of the issue, right? Which is, it's less about camera on camera off and it's more about taking a step back and looking at the comprehensive communication strategy within an organization, right? If If everyone's showing up to a Zoom meeting with the cameras off, it probably means that there are too many Zoom meetings that are happening, right? Some of them maybe should be communicated through asynchronous means, email, some of them could be telephone calls, some of them could be a live document sharing situation, right? Like, the, the, the moments where we do show up on video, it, it's wonderful when everyone can really be present and engage, you know, with, with one another as, as humans. Um, you know, not, not, not everything has to be a video meeting. And having a, a Zoom call with everyone having the video off, like that, really does seem like maybe not the best use of the the channel.
1: Well, real quick, Zach, and then I'll turn it over to you. But to follow on to that, I think that it's, it's really a lot of a, a of a leadership thing. I, I mean, I just don't think that it's a good a good look when you have leaders of an organization that they have cameras off, and the rest of the people that are under them, so to speak. Uh, in terms of re- reporting are all cameras on. I just think that that's something I, it, to me, it's a leadership thing as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and you're touching on a really interesting thing too, in terms of, you know, as a leader, we, we, we want to mirror the behaviors that we'd like to see promoted throughout the organization. It, it, it's the same thing with requiring people to come back in the office. Meanwhile, some of the leaders or, or CEOs or whatever are in their like beautiful homes somewhere else you know, reporting in via mm. digital means, right? Like these things should be a little more, um, democratized choice needs to be leveraged in a way that makes sense. Flexibility needs to be leveraged in a way that makes sense. Um, and definitely as a leader, I think you should, you should show up in the way that you would like everyone to, to show up, whether that's video on, whether that's in the office, however many days a week. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I've heard this stat before and I'm sure you, you have it. Um, more honed in on what percentage of someone's um, there, there's a stat about body language has this much to do with how people whether it's trust or listen or whatever. What what, what How high is that number? It's pretty high, right?
2: So okay, yes. Yeah. So the study I believe you're referencing is the Moravian um, rule, which is it's like 93% is nonverbal, seven percent is is verbal, which include yeah exactly vocal as well so things like intonation speech speed pauses um, and then and then filler words that is a very misleading uh number right because the study was done in a very specific context right and the study represented the degree of emotional nuance that was picked up on right and and when you're talking right if you take like one sentence and you're like I'm, I'm so excited to be here, right? And then you say, I'm so excited to be here, right? The words are not what's changing the interpretation. What's changing the interpretation are the nonverbals, the way that my face reacted, sure. the, the sure. intention. In my. So that studies a very specific context. You know, it would be illogical to say that in a stand-up meeting where everyone is sharing their to-do Lists and it's all about really the content that the body language is still at ninety three percent, right? So nonverbals are are hugely important, especially when it comes to the intention and the emotional nuance and context in a message. They can be game changing, right? Um, but it's very difficult to put a number to that.
0: that but, okay, so it being difficult, so it's not ninety three, but it's not zero. It's somewhere in between, and it's a lot.
2: Yes, it's uh, definitely a significant piece what, of
0: your I didn't know it was 93, so that, that, or you know, allegedly <laughs> 93, but what I was going to say is that I think people forget that they're always selling something, right? Even people who aren't salespeople, right? They're, they're always mm-hmm. trying to get a reaction. They're always trying to get a specific outcome and no, no matter what that is. Right. And if they could improve their body language or they can improve some, some feature to fix that, they could see a lot higher results, whether that be getting the girl to go on a date with you, getting the person to, uh, you know, supersize their Big Mac meal, whether that be to get a new job, to to, to do any to, to get someone to, you know, uh, uh, agree to the graphic design that they just did, whatever those things are, that the body language in that if it's if it's positive and improved, you, I would believe, tend to like that person more and are more likely to agree with them. So, you, you would think that someone would want to improve those things so that they can improve their percentages of, of whatever they're, they're looking for. Or you know, I would think dozens, hundreds, maybe oh, thousands of times a day we're trying to get approval on something. Um, so why don't people – so that, that's a true statement, right? Like these things are important in there. But then why don't more people put in the attention to try and fix this when it's basically their entire life?
2: I think that basically comes down to awareness, right? So we are all very used to the way we show up, right? We're used to the way that we hold ourselves, even just simply from a postural perspective, it feels comfortable, it feels natural, it feels authentic. So to think that we would potentially have to change some of the way we move or some of the way we express in order to achieve a higher level of impact uh, can be daunting. Right, and unless someone is showing us, like, by the way, this is how you showed up, and this is the impression that you sent, like over and over again, it it could be very easy to to kind of ignore it, right? Because the other piece of the equation is the feedback, and yes, you might be having a, a less ideal success or hit rate, right? Whether you're a salesperson or maybe it's on virtual interviews, and you can't for the life of you understand why you're not getting hired when. Your, your resume speaks to a parallel along with everyone else's, right? Um, n- n- no one's really going to tell you, oh, it's because, you know, your lighting was so terrible, I could barely see your face. So it really was hard for me to trust mm-hmm. you or to develop trust with you, right? Or, or, you know, for whatever reason, the words that were coming out of your mouth were not congruent with the way you were expressing them. So it felt a little off, right? No one's going to articulate that. And so it can be very difficult to even know that there's something you should address
1: hmm. I, I i can't i'm just almost laughing inside because it, it's it's horrifying to me like, like the, the act of act of listening i mean like mm. what and so there's nothing worse than like when someone's taking a picture of an event somewhere a speaker is presenting and i'm like really actively listening to the point where I'm not even thinking about facial expressions, but I just have this really mean, evil looking face because I'm listening so intensely. And then when I see those pictures that surface on social media, I'm like, mm. oh, my gosh, I look, I just, I, I look, you have horrific. RBF, Tim. I well, it. and I was like, yeah, you know, and it's just like, is that something that you need to put in the back of your mind? Like, always look happy. You know, despite the fact that I'm trying to listen more than I am trying to be happy.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So again, you know, you guys are hitting on some really interesting concepts that have a lot of nuance to them when it comes to active listening. Right. Um, And and, and for that matter, awareness of what our, our facial expressions, our facial muscles might be doing is, is a very common problem. Like the number of professionals who come to me and say, Rachel, I cannot for the life of me remember to control my facial expressions. And so if I'm in a meeting and I don't like, what someone's saying like it's very clear or if I'm bored or like whatever and you know we, we get to this interesting point where you're like all right well so does that mean that I should show up in a way that's like not reflecting how I feel and then is that maybe not authentic and la 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 but at the end of the day the questions we should be asking are how do you intend to show up in that meeting, in that moment, in that conversation. And are you, communi- like, is your communication reflecting that intention? So to your point, Tim, if your intention is to, you know, you are actively listening, you're hanging on to every single word that that person is saying, and it would be, it would be so great if the speaker knew the effect that they were having on you in terms of your attention, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's less about, Showing that you're happy all the time. Maybe, you know, God forbid someone takes a picture. And it's more about, you know, every once in a while doing a small head nod, right? Or potentially like tilting the head just slightly. It's obvious that you're considering what someone is saying. And then when it comes to your facial expressions, again, it's not about just being happy, right? Because that can be super unsettling for people. If people are like, why is that person just like grinning? At me and it's like super creepy <laughs> so but what, what can be helpful is just a reset of the facial expressions mm. once in a while you know so, so that we still see a little bit of that dynamic engaged quality but it's, it's more about variation in facial expression than it is about like being you know happy or pleasant all the time.
0: Or if you just put your hands out like this and stare at <laughs> him, I'm sure it'll be okay. They'll, then they'll trust you even more. I want to get into that. I hope we, we touch on that at some point. But I have a tendency in conversation to arms cross like this. And right. I've been told, you know, that that is saying that you, you know, are not interested in this conversation. It's just comfortable to me, right? And so That's sometimes I'll, I'll look at these people and say, hey, I'm very into this conversation. <laughs> I'm not trying to be rude. This is just comfortable yeah. to me. Yes. Like, don't, whatever. And so like, kind of like to Tim's point is, so yeah. that person, you know, it's not a presenter. Uh, it's, you know, maybe it's just like a, a friend or a family member or, or whatever. I literally will tell them, yo, I'm into this conversation. Don't, don't be just, uh, don't, don't think I'm being, you know, uh, yeah. uh, you know, disinterested in this conversation just because my arms are crossed, like, yo, I'm in. And so it's I, maybe, maybe that 7% verbal is helping the 93% nonverbal <laughs> in that case. But like, I it's kind yeah. of so weird in those situations too, where it's the, you know, cause some people I think with arms crossed probably are not interested and that's fine, but I'm yeah. usually, I'm usually all in. <laughs>
2: right. So right. We, we're, I think, so in the world of nonverbal communication, like especially kind of more like the pop culture-y side of things, you know, there are many myths, right? And if you talk to any nonverbal expert, they'll be like, oof, yeah, we, we like have to, like another one is, Oh, if someone looks at me and doesn't blink their or, or if someone looks away when they're talking, they're lying. Like some of these things are just completely not, not, not always true, right? And as you say, like crossing your arms is actually a very, I'm going to say this word again, nuance. It's a very nuanced posture, right? And absolutely, there are some times where it's very clear that someone says something and immediately... You cross your arms, right? You protect your ventral area. You show a very closed nonverbal. And it's very strong. It can be a very strong message to the other person that like you disagree. You're not interested. You know, you're not really going to have a conducive conversation. That's one use case, if you will, of that posture. There are many other reasons why you might cross your arms. Number one being, as you said, Zach, that it's actually a very comfortable posture for many people right? A lot of people, actually, I would say humans in general, right? From the time that we are born, care is expressed to us through touch, right? Skin to skin contact. When we're adults, we're not getting that same kind of reassurance and care through self-touch. And so we do it, we do it ourselves, right? That's why you get a lot of these kind of touching, mm. right? When you see people kind of rubbing it, that that's a very soothing act. It, 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 It lowers our stress, right? So when you cross your arms like this and you're like, I don't know, it just feels comfortable. It's like, well, of course it feels comfortable, right? It's a soothing, it's a pacifying behavior. So when it comes to kind of decoding some of these messages, what we, we, we really have to take like as many pieces of information into context as possible, right? So if you're, if someone says something to you and you go, oh, interesting. Right? We're getting a very clear verbal cue that this is interesting to you. We're getting a very clear head nod, which indicates that this is a positive consideration. And then we get the arm cross, which perhaps if it was paired with other nonverbals, would not be a great sign. But given the fact that you have made this verbal cue and you are nodding your head, it, it's actually probably more of that, you know, display of comfort.
0: Fascinating. <laughs> well, no. Wait, wait. I, hold on, hold on. Fa- yeah, fa- fa- fascinating. Well, terror,
1: yeah. So, one of the things that I that I do find fascinating is the fact that uh, reading reading up before the show and in, in preparation for this, you said that uh, you've learned a lot of this and this behavior from being on stage. You mm-hmm. you're a performer, and when I look at, I'm a I'm a really really big into music that's one of the things i mean going to live shows that's that is my jam and i do it all the time and the thing is is that like the the best shows the best performances my favorite artists when they're up on stage they look like they're just having the time of their life they're just having fun they're smiling and you know that just that reflects back to the crowd and everyone has a great time is that's is that something that they practice? Is that something, I mean, because these Mm -hmm. performers, I mean, they're professionals, they make everything look so easy, but they've been at this craft for a really, really long time. Or is it a mixture of both, you know, that they really are having the time of their life, even though they're playing the same song for probably the 20,000th time in a row.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a great question. I think that's something a lot of performers try to, it's like a nut that a lot of the performers professional performers try to crack. Uh, For me, like as a dancer, of course, my mind immediately goes to the Nutcracker, which was our like yearly production, huge moneymaker for the company, 43, 45 shows, and you were in every single one of them. Right. And these, the Nutcracker is not like a sad ballet. So you can't go out there and be like, oh, just as well, I'm tired and sad. And so I can just, you know, be sad. It's like, I'm a snowflake. And it's like the most exciting thing in the world. Right. So I think at least speaking from my experience in those moments where, right. And I think that probably a lot of professionals who have to go into meetings, they don't feel like it. They have to do a presentation. They'd rather be in bed, whatever. Right. Like, again, in those moments before you do the event or presentation, it's or performance, right. It's like, what, like, first of all, why am I doing this? Who am I doing it for? And it's almost in the purpose of it that we can revitalize the energy or the intensity or whatever it is that you know you need to exhibit as, as a speaker in order to be effective. I think performers probably, of course, need to take that to the next level, right? Because if you're on stage in front of tens of thousands of people who are paying a lot of money to see you live, like that's a slightly different purpose from like this is a, a team meeting. And I have to, you know, get everyone on board so that we can move to this next milestone right. or whatever. It's just, just different degrees of intensity, but the the idea is the same.
1: Well, the thing is, is that like, so we, I teach a lot of pitching classes for founders, so that as they're learning to pitch, and part of the uh, the thing that we teach them is that, yes, this is a pitch, but it's also a performance as well. I mean, and so it needs to be memorable. Mm-hmm. This is your time on stage, and you you really have to view this as a performance so and and that's that's tough for a lot of people yeah
2: uh yeah i would agree with that i mean in, in a lot of the workshops that i used to do before you know honing this new technology the question of you know authenticity came up the the question of like okay well i don't like i'm not in this business to perform you know these these kind of tricky questions come up and you're like well you know that may be the case but at the end of the day like as soon as someone is presenting to a group of people who are listening you know and i think part of it is is that people view performance only as like one definition of it right and it is more of that like m- musician movie star dancer actor whatever and and that's someone like,
0: who's getting paid for it probably
2: right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. right and so you're like well you're like i'm not like i'm not an actor i'm not a dancer i'm not a performer but that doesn't mean that there aren't elements of performance that sure. you can leverage in order to once again, be more effective.
0: Um, Tim loves music. He go, he, he's not lying when he says he goes to places all the time. Uh, I heard an interview with Zach Brown Band, and he said that when they started, someone asked him, he's like, you're, you're just so great on stage, and all of you guys seem super energetic. And he said, when we started the band and we decided to go out on the road, no drugs, no alcohol, the day of the thing, um, or I guess not before or during, yeah. uh, and that was, uh, an important thing because he's like, people are coming to see us play our music at our best. If we're, if we're yeah. fated because we're so screwed up on, you know, drugs or alcohol, like many performers uh, in mu- in music do, then we're doing a disservice to our fans. And so yeah. I thought that was interesting too. Uh, funny side note, every once in a while, if I'm about to do a performance, like I might have a beer or two just to calm the, 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 yeah. the nerves of something like that. Yeah. But I appreciate him him saying that and, and, and recognizing that they can do a heck of a lot better job for the people who are spending, you know, 150 bucks a ticket these days to, to see that. So that, I appreciate mm. that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I think it's a good point because I think we can get very wrapped up in like strategy, like in the moment and like immediately leading up. But like overall, right, health, wellness, mental health, taking time to make sure that you're getting enough sleep, eating well, getting exercise, like doing something you love, like all of those things, like I feel like are like foundational to anything we discuss, right? Because, you know, it becomes harder and harder to like lift above not feeling well,
0: not feeling good. What is your background in all of this? How did you get into body language?
2: Yeah, so it, I mean, honestly, it was very rooted in my experience as a ballet dancer. You know, that world is completely physical, it's completely um, nonverbal, right? We don't go on stage ever and talk. Uh, and I retired in 2016 because of an injury. So it was not planned. You know, I thought I was going to dance for many more years. And I, few months after retiring, got a job at Harvard in their fundraising offices. So very relationship driven and just, it was almost like the sharp contrast between like a few months ago being on this stage performing and then all of a sudden finding myself in this very like corporate kind of cubicle environment that I noticed number one, actually how like physical this new world was in a completely different way and how, um, how much potential was being left on the table because people were not, not really showing up and not embodying their, their lives as professionals. Um, and so that was kind of a grain of like, oh, that's, you know, I feel like this is a very natural thing to, to walk in and engage and express and whatever. And um, other people around me aren't really doing that. And then, you know, like, what if I could maybe bring some of what I learned as a dancer into this new, new environment
1: yeah, I, w- I want to touch on the the tech behind the platform that you have. So, is it, is it is it an overlay on Zoom or whatever platform you're using, and then is it is it nudge you or like just remind you, like, hey, work uh, your eye contact is off. Yeah, I find it fascinating. I would love to hear dive into that and hear more about it.
2: Yeah, totally. It is. Super cool, if I do say so myself. Um, so we have we have two two products right now. Uh, the one that I'll share first is the Sidekick, which is kind of our main our main product. Um, it is a Chrome extension. You know, we connect to your calendar, so we can tell when your next video meeting is. As soon as your video meeting launches, whether it's Google Meet, Zoom, Teams, Webex, you know, we can we can tell all of those meeting providers are about to have an event within your calendar. So we see we auto launch the sidekick. So if you're on Zoom, the sidekick is like a little floating dashboard, if you will, uh, very minimal, because um, we, we want it to be non-distracting when it doesn't need to be thought about, but visible when we need you to potentially course correct behavior, right? So Tim, you were talking about when you're active listening, or actively Mm -hmm. listening. So one of the things as an example that the technology would do is, like let's say you had gotten really focused on what the person's saying and you hadn't changed your facial expression, tilted your head or given any indication that like you really are uh, actively listening and present. So you would get a a visual nudge. The symbol for active listening is like an ear with um, a little like graphic thing around it and that would pop up and you would see it and be like, oh yes, yep. Like as, as a reminder, to yourself. Um, so it's a, a series of visual cues that pop up if we have detected a certain behavior is happening repeatedly over time. Um, so it's not like if I like look away like this and then look back, it'll immediately flash, right? Like it, the behaviors have to be more of a pattern in order for us to um, do, like essentially give you a nudge. Um, and then you know, we give you encouragement as well. So if things are going, if you've corrected a nudge or you're on a streak, you know, our logo goes on fire. And so, you know, it, just just to say, because I think earlier when we didn't have that kind of gamified approach, when people mm-hmm. weren't getting nudges, they were like, is it still working? <laughs> or like, what's happening? Like, am I doing a great job or is it not working? And so now we're like, yep, it's worth working. You're doing great. Like, you know, don't don't change anything. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, and then we have a series of like post Hmm. Call analytics and progress tracking and all that fun stuff.
1: It is is that uh, subscription-based software that someone can just go ahead and is it a, is it a monthly subscription that uh, yeah. for access to the extension?
2: Yep, yep. And anyone can go to the website. We have a free trial, so you can install the extension, try it out. You know, we we like to say you know g- give it a, a call or two to get used to because it is it's new. You know, it's something new to consider and think about. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it, it's kind of where that awareness piece comes in, right? A lot of people get a little bit like low scores at the beginning. And, um, some people
1: don't love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so, like the coach. <laughs> so can, is this something that you could, um, just open up a, a zoom meeting or any, or open up a, a FaceTime with yourself or something and then practice and rehearse with this tool as well so that you can improve like if you're if you know you have a pitch coming up that that you can continue to practice get feedback from and then uh, improve your performance
2: yeah yeah definitely um it works on any video like i could have it on right now and be using it if i wanted to wow
1: that's really cool because well, I, I tell you, well, yeah, I mean, because the thing about it is, and, and, and Gary Plague, if you're listening, mm-hmm. yeah, what, what, he's a communications person. And I, I mean, as, it wasn't, it was painful, but it was really, really eye opening as well. So what, like we went through an exercise and um, everything is recorded on camera. And then part of that exercise was you had to read out loud a children's story. And, you know, the way that you read to children is very, very different than, uh, but because it it requires so much emotion and I'm just not like super filled with emotion, you know, just, I'm, I'm pretty stoic. And, but then when I, when I rewatched it, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, and now even, even to this day, I try to like, I feel like I'm over exaggerating, but when I go back and rewatch those video clips, I still feel like I have to like increase it 20x more and it's just like oh gosh it's just so a practice tool like this would be i would i see the value in it
2: yeah totally yeah it's i mean it's designed to be very flexible right like you can use it in the calls themselves if you're like i just i need someone to remind me otherwise i i will completely fall into my habits or it can be used you know you can launch it it doesn't have to be tied to a calendar event you can launch it whenever you want try like maybe it's your pitch or your ted talk or whatever and just be like i just you know want to start building some of this new muscle memory around the way I would like to be uh, coming across on video.
0: How how do we get a copy of this video, Tim? Or should I just send you a children's book for you to record?
1: Yeah, I'm going to start doing those weekly. I'm going to I'll set up my own YouTube channel and then we'll come up with a title for it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i, I, I wanna, i've i've sat with gary before uh and done something similar not with a children's book i think we just reviewed a performance or something mm. and i remember that being like and i and i've done thousands of performances uh i remember that being a little like wild i can't imagine you reading a book this sounds great i've never heard this story but uh, I i'm excited uh before the pandemic I always encouraged people who wanted to get better at performances to be on stage things like that to just open up Facebook live and go live and talk to the screen and and they can learn a lot through, from that uh, perspective what's interesting is I think that's maybe changed a little bit because we're on we're, we're doing so many of these zoom style calls but it other than doing more performances which can be very difficult for someone to um, Obtain because people don't want to watch a bad performance if you will what are some strategies that people can do to improve their actual on stage performance
2: so it's interesting because I think a lot of that improvement can come in two ways like number number one it's in a lot of it is in the preparation right and the practice and all of those are happening before the live event things like you know, whether it's um, like, for example, when I was practicing for for my TED talk, I would read the text over over and over again without worrying about any of the other layers of, of performance, but just to get the, the base of it in my in my in my brain. Right. And then you start adding these other little pieces. And so as you add new pieces, the part that you were rehearsing before, you don't have to think about anymore right? I think a lot of the anxiety that comes in performance is when people think about every single thing that has to be executed on simultaneously in order for the performance to be successful. If you break down the rehearsal process, then you can layer things one on top of the other in such a way that feels a little more natural, feels a little more approachable, right? So that's Mm -hmm. kind of one, yeah.
1: Can you expand on that a little bit? Because this this is one of the questions I wanted to ask you was Mm -hmm. in preparation for that TED Talk, how much prep how much preparation time went into that? I heard a stat is, is there a stat like one hour for every minute or something? It's it's some crazy number, but I'm just curious how much time prep time went into your TED talk.
2: Yeah, I mean that was you know uh dancer over here, so I'm not like necessarily used to doing um these. To- talks that are scripted, right? A scripted talk to me, like I can talk all day, like, as you said, Zach, you know, Facebook live, whatever, no problem. But a scripted talk is a very different thing. So I, I think all in all, it was a period of like six weeks prep. Um, and that included, you know, writing out the first draft, like honing the draft, going back and forth a lot with some coaches on like the structure of it uh, and then, I mean, to me, the most interesting part is like, once you're like, okay, this is the content, great. It, it, that, it, the next most interesting part is, is like, okay, so how do you make that content come off the page? Um, and that, that was, um, at least for me, my process is it's, it has to be doing, you know, and as, as crazy as I might seem when I'm doing it, just like literally talking to myself in a room for <laughs> however long it takes to get it to the point where it feels natural and doesn't come across as scripted right? That, um, that's the most intense process. And it's kind of interesting because I think that process needs to be uh, executed to a certain extent for any kind of keynote or anything like that. And the number of people I know who are so focused on writing the content and then less so on bringing that content to life, you know, you're like, no wonder so many presentations fall flat.
1: Mm. That's really interesting. It's, it seems like so much time is spent on creating the slide deck and zero time is spent on what it is that you're the message that people are actually going to remember yeah uh, do you have any do you have any basic guidelines or suggestions that that you share with people in terms of preparation time versus powerpoint time or whatever platform you're using to create slides
2: yeah i mean the t- the time the time like ratio is a little tricky for me i don't have the hard like as you said like one hour per minute Um, I think a lot of it depends on like the length of the, of the, uh, presentation, but one like good test I would say is that you should be able to go through your entire presentation in your mind, knowing which slide comes next, when, so that when you're presenting, right, what people don't see is, and that's why you have to do X. Moving on, (laughs) right? Like we you can't, that's not like, it's, you know, even if it's on video, it is so obvious when you're reading from a script or reading from slides, like you want to have the confidence of that direct eye contact, looking into the lens. Like, yes, you're breaking it once in a while to make sure that it's a nice cadence, but, but what you're not doing is predictably reading, reading the slides.
1: It's It's all, it's all so fascinating to me. And and it's so difficult. And, and I mentioned it before, but professionals, they make it so easy. But people, what people don't see watching this is how much preparation went into it. And Zach, you and I have talked about it, that Shark Tank was great for the entrepreneurial community, but it was the worst thing for the entrepreneurial community as well because mm-hmm. they just made it look so easy that anybody can pitch. And uh,
0: well, those are hour, two hour long pitches too that they right. throw into three minute pieces, which is like, wow. That's a that's a completely different... You know animal yeah. I mean yeah. it's also production it's entertainment people yeah. forget about that you know there's so many yeah there's so many aspects of it that are difficult for people to um, to fathom or to grasp and a good job of the production company for for, for making people not recognize that but yeah. I remember I used to do I haven't done an on-stage pitch in a while um, but I used to do a lot and at some point I realized actually through interviewing someone, he was like, "Why are you creating a new talk for every um, audience?" And I was like, "I don't know. I feel like I'm supposed to." And he was like, "Look at look at this musician. Look at this comedian. The content is the constant. The mm-hmm. audience is the variable." Mm-hmm. So then I, at that point I was like, screw it. I'm creating one (laughs) deck and it's the only (laughs) deck I'm ever going to do again. Maybe like subtle changes in there, but you also get a lot more comfortable with it. Now think about if you don't do that and you change it every time, it's two variables in there. You're, you're constantly changing that. And the amount of time, if we think about, you know, if, if Tim's stat is correct or, or just any, any, anything from a preparation perspective, that's a crazy amount of time to try to, get comfortable around something when it's like if you get comfortable around this one thing mm-hmm. and then the audience changes who cares let the audience change but i'm doing the same performance every single night and so i that was probably like seven eight years ago and i was like wow like i feel like a donkey i, I don't know why i've waited so long to like figure this out and it was it was it was earth shattering uh, information that was provided yeah. Us, so. yeah it was a
2: classic overachiever over there
0: no, no, I'm an overachiever in any kind of way. I don't, Nope. Oh.
1: Are, um, are you bootstrapping this or, or have you raised capital for this venture? How's that going?
2: Yeah, no, that's um, our journey has been uh, like 50% bootstrapped. And then we've done a small pre-seed. Uh, we raised on a safe, um, we, you know, we have a few things coming up in the fall that are going to be exciting. You know, some of them come with funding as well. So from a funding perspective, it's been in, no VC, right? No VC to date. Um, angels, friends and family, and then Bootstrap.
0: Is this your first business that you've ever gone into? as?
2: Uh, So yes and no. It's It's definitely the first, like startup tech company scalable, like potentially like large, large, uh, large business. Um, I had a consulting practice that was focused on nonverbal communication coaching and body language coaching before called choreography for business.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: Do you find that selling something that I don't know how to say this? Um and th- what you do reminds me of uh, we had a previous guest his name's danny rubin and he sells what he calls um soft skills to people because soft skills aren't taught to people or they're not taught in like growing yeah, up yeah. and stuff like that yeah. I-, I feel like this is a soft skill but it's a really important thing right mm-hmm. and so he was like i i have to teach these people to want to buy my thing
2: yeah and
0: they don't even realize that they need it but it's the reason why they're not getting to the step that they want to in their careers are you finding that it's difficult to, to sell this thing that people don't even realize they need? Or it, or has the pandemic maybe changed that where people realize, oh, I, I need to get better at this so I don't look like, like Zach Miller talking on this screen? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so definitely more, when, when I was doing choreography for business and that was more of like the in-person, you know, workshopping, facilitation, that felt a little more like there was more education around it. With virtual sapiens, it's been really interesting. I think because people are, people have been forced to watch themselves, you know, unless they're hiding their self view, which I I highly recommend, Um, right? You kind of become a lot more aware of like, oh God, is that how I look on video? Like maybe I should, I don't know, change something or whatever, or people are just very frustrated because the video experience feels flat, you know? And and, and the things, interestingly, the things that we say we will help people improve on, people are like, oh, I see people do that all the time. Um, and so, again, I think our challenge is less in kind of educating people that, that this is a need and more in helping people be aware that, oh, actually, like, not only is this something that I could see a lot of other people using, but this is something that I actually could probably use myself.
1: Hmm. I'm curious, does your, if your are uh, if the platform, does it detect or notify you when you use certain filler words um so
2: yeah yeah no we don't do we everything is a computer vision problem for us so we don't do any transcription uh so, so yeah filler words words choice like different topic words we wouldn't do that um gotcha. we yeah we are, we're looking at partnering with some companies who do that you know it just mm-hmm. it's essentially table stakes at this point like everyone has some kind of transcription service. So we didn't feel like, uh, it was really worth our time to make sense.
1: Yeah. It's one of the, uh, tips real quick, Zach, that we use is that what, and again, I, I, we work with a lot of founders. So going back to like practicing pitches, say your pitch, use, uh, the, the voice, the text dictation, and then highlight all your filler words and like when you see and when you like, um, as I just did highlight all those filler words and the whole page is yellow or whatever color highlighter you have. You're like, Oh my goodness. I had no idea that I was using all of these filler words.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The filler words is always, it's always glaring.
1: And there's always a new one there uh, uh, that I went through a, you know, stage and I feel (laughs) as if that I I cut that one out. And the next, uh, another one that I, I don't know how to get out of it is, i mean and this mm-hmm. is like that, that and i and i hear a lot of people using that same yeah. filler word and i'm like gosh i gotta i have to stop but yeah the for me it's right
0: groovy i'll
2: be like blah 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 right? <laughs> blah, right? Blah, 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 blah.
0: because you're asking for <laughs> an affirmation of that or whatever Are you it's, asking it's for like
2: my it's my rhetorical way of like checking in and moving on so it's, it's just
1: like saying you know that i say yeah. right another one another one i use is, is and other people use as well as so It just starts something off so and it's like uh, when
0: you say so though that you then have to repeat it with uh so a needle pulling thread from uh the um
1: right that's right that's that right. movie
0: and then that'll probably fix it because then you'll never want to say that again
1: mm-hmm. i just made
0: that up i was you know i'm working on my comedy i thought that was pretty good i can't even um, think of the movie sound of music um
1: so is it, well, <laughs> I'm trying to read it, something. It, no, like, oh, okay. I thought that you were trying to come up with a thought because I'm just curious. Like, is no. it difficult for you to watch? Like, are you... When you are watching something, does it take away from the entertainment value? Because, Or are you able to take off that, that part of your brain and just enjoy the entertainment for the entertainment? Or do you...
2: It depends. I think if someone if someone is doing something that is just really not helping them, it becomes kind of like one of those, like an obsession where you're like, wow, like I want to just reach through the camera and like fix the lens and then be like pat on the back and like, you know, as you were, because it's like, you know, all I can see, like if someone's like too close, man, someone, so many people get so close and it's so uncomfortable because it's so intense for the audience, you know? And I just, yeah, so some of those th- more like framing things really get on my nerves. But when it comes to hand gestures, things like that, I, unless it's like a glaringly terrible situation, it's, I can usually kind of shut that part off and just try to enjoy.
0: If someone had something stuck in their teeth, would you tell them? I'm bad at that. I'm I mean, really- that's basically what you're, that, that's basically what Virtual Sapiens does, right? I mean, it's basically saying, hey, you get something in your teeth, you need to fix it. Yes. Come on, you got. If I had something in my teeth, you wouldn't tell me that's ridiculous. Even if I just met the person three seconds before, I would tell them. You would. uh, Wow, so it's a great icebreaker. You're just
2: a bigger person than I am. I randomly feel like if I were, if I were to stop the conversation and tell them in front of everyone that I would just make it worse than
0: them having. You don't think everyone's saying that to them anyway?
2: Oh, for sure, for sure. This is one of my greatest faults.
0: It's okay, we forgive you. So, when yeah. we um, first learned about you, we have you fill out this form, and uh, I thought this was really interesting. And I and I want to break it down a little bit. You you talked to, uh, the question is please tell us about your business. And it's Virtual Sapiens is like grammarly for body language and presence on video. And then there's another sentence, but I think that first sentence is is, is really critical. What, how, how, like, what um, iteration of that are you on on that? And then the Grammarly piece to that, you know, you, you see, filler words, <laughs> a lot of companies, thousands of companies will say they're the Uber for whatever, they're the whatever for whatever type of company. You, you've done something similar in saying, hey, we're the Grammarly for body language. Do you find that people gravitate and understand what Grammarly is? Like, how did you come to, to using another big brand to use to enforce kind of what you do?
2: Yes, we came up with that through feedback from people we were talking to. So we would explain what the business was and how it worked and how the technology worked. And almost, it's crazy to say, but almost unanimously, as soon as people actually understood it, they'd be like, oh, so it's like Grammarly. Hmm. So once that was established, we, we decided to leverage it. However, we try not to depend on it and we don't use it publicly, if that makes sense. So we'll use it in applications and and we'll especially use it in some of those more tech forward applications where they're like, you know, 50 characters or less. I'm like, all right, this is what it's like. It was effective though. Yeah, because it is effective, but I do... I do, like, I prefer not to be comparing to other things all the time. I also think that, like, it's, it's a great conceptual comparison. But at this point in how we've evolved, like, we, we've evolved into our own thing now, you know, and I mm-hmm. want to be cognizant of that. So it's, it's catchy and it works. And I haven't had anyone say what's grammarly when I say that to them. You know, we're not putting it up on our website. I think you'll also maybe you may have seen other companies use that same analogy. We're like Grammarly for this or Grammarly for that. And I'm like, okay, so it's not super original,
1: but.
0: Well, at some point as you become a bigger brand, you have to remove that. I would assume you have to remove that from the situation because you don't want to promote someone to get together. But yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. I mean, there are other ways, like the other day I was looking at another founder's website and she used the analogy of she's a, um, a legal search platform, right? So as a lawyer or a judge, you could search her platform for mm-hmm. any case and decision. And she's like, imagine if you could Google any legal case or legal decision. And so she used the Google analogy, but instead of saying this is like Google, but for law, she, she uses it as like the, the verb. So, you know, you could be like, imagine if Grammarly also did body language. then it's a little bit less of that, like like X x for Y
1: formula. Yeah, I didn't realize that Grammarly was so big. It's interesting to hear that uh, no one has ever come back to ask what Grammarly is. I, I, I I'm use also it. shocked
0: uh, by that, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I know what it is.
1: But and I think that I've, I find it really, really helpful. So every Monday when I get the report from Grammarly that, hey, these were the most common mistakes or this was the, uh, the mood or whatever, uh, however they describe it, of, of which you, you communicate. And I, I find all that stuff pretty insightful and helpful.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: definitely. How is um, How is the, the Boston scene? Or is is it, are you there to stay for a little while? Are you, are, are, cause you are, are you in, were in Boston, have left Boston?
2: Yeah. So I, my, the company is based in, in, in Boston, Massachusetts, but um, we, like I was in Boston for 16 years and through, through that time was, professional ballet dancer and then a fundraiser and a food writer and then now an entrepreneur. And I kind of was like, I need to, when the pandemic hit, I was like, I need to get out of this place. And so my husband and I are actual we're digital nomads now. So we travel around to different cities and we install ourselves in an Airbnb. (laughs) I rearrange the furniture so I can have a nice Zoom background. And currently we're in Toronto, which is where my family is. And we'll be going to Portland, Maine for the fall and then potentially Miami. So, you know, I, I'm in and out of Boston. Mm. In answer to your question, which I, I think might have related more to like the founder startup ecosystem, I think Boston's thriving. Mm-hmm. I think that there are some amazing, amazing players in the space. You know, Allison Byers from Scrupius being one of them who are total champion, champions and uh, game changers when it comes to inclusive, kind of diverse representation of founders. And that's really special. I think other tech scenes, like the one that's in Miami, for example, are like way more hypey, which can be fun, but can also be distracting. So I, I do find Boston's a pretty honest place. And there's a lot of really supportive activity going on there for
1: for founders. The thought of the digital nomad life sounds super cool to me. It's great. Yeah. What, what's, a, what, what's your short list of places that you want to go to? Other than Portland. We, we, you said
2: we, Portland, right? Yeah, yes. Portland, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We did 100% fall in love with Miami. So we will be going back. So the from...
0: hype is real then, but oh, just the too hi- much the hype,
2: hype. The Miami hype is super real. However, the hype that I'm into is like understated in the sense that like people go to Miami and they want to do all the club restaurants and you know, like South Beach craziness. And I'm like, actually that's like not where it's at. There's like all this really good food, really great coffee shops, amazing art, like not on South Beach and like a little more North. So there's a lot to explore there, but I, I do love Miami. We were just in, we flew to Lisbon for a weekend on our way to the South of France. And Lisbon is a super cool spot. Like, I'd love to explore more of Portugal in general.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I um, that 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 could be something I would be able to do. Are you going to be a digital problem. nomad soon, Tim? Time will tell. I mean, oh. we, we would we would we would stay here in the well. Sure, in this you have area. a home, right? But... Yeah, we. I mean, we're not going. We wouldn't sell our home, and then live out of the car or, you know, live out of city to city or whatever the case yeah. is, but I definitely could totally, uh, I can, I could, I can get down with it.
2: Yeah. It's great. It's really a fascinating exercise. You, you learn that you don't need all this stuff. You, you, you learn very quickly what you do need, right? What you do need, you need, you absolutely need high, like high speed internet. You need quiet place to do your calls. You need like one nice coffee mug. You need a really good like coffee situation, you know, like whatever it is that you need. Maybe you need some music situation. You know, I need a place to be able to move and work out. But once you figure those things out, you know, it's, it's amazing how you can kind of plop yourself into different locations and be okay and experience new cities and experience yourself and your partner in in new cities and with new energy. It's, it's very
0: fascinating
1: how about you zach you see yourself doing that
0: no as i'm sitting here i'm thinking i'm like i don't mind traveling like i enjoy traveling a little bit that i've done but i'm like okay like i have things that i feel like i'd have to move with me in those Mm -hmm. things so like i don't have kids but i have two dogs Mm -hmm. so like what's going on with the dogs if if we had kids like would the kids have to come? like you know, your yeah. kids, Tim, are almost old enough where it, that's why I said in a couple of years or I was thinking right. a couple of years, you know, it'll, it'll be there. But for me, I'm like, OK, I got a one and two year old dog. Yeah, uh, it's hard enough to find someone to watch them for a day to go to a wine fest. I mean,
2: oof. yeah, for sure. No, that the religious the, I mean, you'd have to bring that poster behind you, too, obviously. Right?
0: <laughs> well, yes, I can roll it up. I mean, I have one in my backpack already. There's a folding one. I oh, have one cool. laminated. Um also, I have him, his tattoo. Yeah. Oh, it's this side, right here. Yeah, no, I don't. But, um,
2: yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, like a, it's, a, it's definitely a situation.
0: You know, it's not. I think it would be fun to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I you just know. saw there's a cruise that is uh, like 200 days. And I don't remember who's doing it, but it's stopping mm-hmm. at 160 different locations and it's kind of expensive it's like 50 60 grand but it's mm. you know it's stopping at all these locations across the world and i was like well, that would be kind of cool and then yeah. logistically you think about okay like yeah you're going to get
1: this done. Rachel what's the longest you stayed in an area?
2: 6 months. So we were in Miami this past year for 6 months. Before that it was like between 1 and 2 months.
1: Were you there for Miami Tech Week and all that uh, stuff or? yeah how was that?
2: Great. I mean, it was great. There's it's just so much energy around. Of course, there was a, a lot of Bitcoin and crypto activity uh, and yes. you mm-hmm. know cults and like all that stuff going on yes. and so that was you know you know fascinating to just watch.
0: Oh I forgot to ask okay, so why is my hands out like this? Um, why does that show that I'm trustworthy?
2: Okay, so, the word yes However, (laughs) i think it served a purpose uh so we there's the the main thing i guess the science or the anthropology or whatever behind the palm of your hands being a very strong signal of trustworthiness is that you're essentially showing someone you have nothing to hide right you there's there's nothing in your fist this is also just an aggressive move right so this would be aggressive. Pointing is very aggressive. The backs of your hands are, are are fine, especially if the hand is open. But if you were to be doing something like this, it would also be sending mixed signals to the other person. So this is the cleanest, fastest way you can show people that, you know, yeah. I, I am here present with you. I, I'm not holding my cell phone. I'm My hands aren't hidden below heat. You know, I could be like saying yes and typing, or I could be like on my phone, or I could be, I don't know, with a widget spinner or whatever, which is fine. But this basically is just the fastest, most efficient way of showing people that you're fully here, present. You don't have anything to hide. It's a very like honest, open, genuine display from a non-perspective. Now I will say, this is not the only way that you can do that, right? Because this also ends up looking like Oh, like you caught me. Yeah. <laughs> so, there, you know, you, a, a palm open and forward gesture like that can be helpful. You know, one hand can be nice. Like it's, I did that because I tend to, I do tend to exaggerate some of the nonverbal cues that I, I, I like to use just to make their, them very obvious. Um, but, you know, I also was really excited to see you guys. So, you know
1: as as, as I, everyone I should. have one right I totally agree one last question for me as we get ready to wrap is so when they when when you I don't watch much media but after there's some sort of mm-hmm. interview that's done and then they have some then they have a body language expert to analyze the performance of the interview is that is there their legitimacy to that or is that all about? How can I have someone watch my uh, watch this segment just a little bit longer?
2: It depends on who the expert is, honestly. I think that there are some amazing, amazingly uh, accurate and insightful people out there who have the the focus of body language. I would say, you know, if anyone is coming out and saying, "Ah, they did this, therefore they are lying or right I, right. I would immediately not really trust what they're saying. However, if someone says, you know, what was interesting about when they said this is they, they exhibited these behaviors or there was a big change in the way that they were coming across. They started all open and confident. And then by the time they were being asked these questions, they got smaller and retreated and, or, you know, the, people are noticing trends and not making judgments, but just saying that was an interesting thing to notice. I would be curious as to why that happened. You know, some theories might be or my hypothesis would be this, because at the end of the day, I think being aware of people's nonverbals, you know, maybe you establish a baseline when the person's comfortable, you know what they look like when they're comfortable. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden something changes like it's about recognizing what happened right before the change. Like why, why might that have happened? You can change your line of questioning. You can become more insightful with the way that you relate to someone if you're paying attention to these things. It's not about making snap judgments based on, you know, if someone smiled or blinked or looked away.
0: Fascinating. Is there anything we haven't talked about today that you want to talk about?
2: I can't remember if you asked this question in the in the thing, I feel like you did like, Pastime, hot, like favorite hobbies or something. Didn't you guys ask that? Like,
1: what? We, so- uh,
0: did you ask that? I'm sure, we did. <laughs> Typically,
1: I, I we'll ask, uh, "What is something interesting that most people don't know about you?" Yes. Oh, maybe that. Well, anyways, I, yeah. Well, oh, did I mention yeah. <laughs> about? Uh, d- well, uh, the thing that's really uh, interesting was the. Uh, oh no! 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 We touched on that. Um, I saw the I, I saw the word roller coaster, and then nice. I was like, oh, and then man. all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, yeah. But I had to reread that. But yes, entrepreneurship. Do is you like, like roller
0: coasters?
2: I used to love them. Now I'm like absolutely not.
1: Favorite roller
0: coaster ever. <laughs> what, what is your favorite?
2: The one I'm the, on right the,
0: now. Ah, <laughs> yeah, what, a, what a lame answer. The, the one at an amusement park. What is your favorite roller coaster of all time? Do you have one?
2: Yes. I think it's a Canada's Wonderland. Uh-huh. And it's oh, called yeah, the yeah, yeah. Monster. And it's all wood. And it doesn't go upside down. But it's got one of those like classic drops right at the beginning. You know Where it just like, really slowly brings you up.
1: Is that in Toronto? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's Tim, that's what's that's yours? a um ro- a favorite roller coaster? Yeah. I really like Apollo's chariot at yeah, uh good. at Bush Gardens just because I like the negative Ooh. G's and it's just a really simple roller coaster. It's nothing over the top, but it's a fun, a lot of fun to ride. Yeah. So you've been to Toronto's um or Canada's Wonderland, Tim? Yeah, because I grew up in the Buffalo, New York right. area. So oh. uh, you'd always we'd always hear all the Canada's Wonderland um advertisements on the radio and such. That's rad. Well, Rachel, it's been absolutely
0: wonderful chatting with you and uh, we look forward to having more conversations in the future. Best of luck and um, how's my body language? Is it okay? Like, yeah. am, am, I, am I doing all right? Like...
2: <laughs> you, guys are doing great. you guys are really doing great. Thanks so much. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Bye. <laughs>